You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and today is day 51 of us staying inside to try and stop the spread of the coronavirus. And here's your quarantine tip of the day. If you're dealing with insomnia, remember, yeah, you might be awake at night, but you can use those hours to reflect on everything you've done wrong in your life. Anyway, on tonight's episode, why you saw that naked dude riding a bike, President Trump finally escapes the White House, and why you might never eat a hamburger ever again. So let's get into it. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is The Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. I know these are hard times right now. And while covering yourself in bleach is a truly terrible idea, exposing yourself to a hefty dose of sunshine may be exactly what you need. Our first feel-good story comes out of South Korea, the birthplace of K-pop and the best place to raise a family in somebody else's house. After successfully dropping their coronavirus cases to basically zero, South Korea has decided that it's time to play ball responsibly. Baseball season is underway in South Korea, but no fans are there to see it. Posters posing as fans filled the seats for yesterday's opening game of the KBO League. They may not see anything more bizarre, though, than this. That's a nine-year-old inside a big baseball bubble. He walked himself from the pitcher's mound to home plate to create a socially distant first pitch. Yes. South Korea has found a way to bring back sports in the age of coronavirus. And, I mean, it looks really safe. Look, don't get me wrong, people are still gonna die of boredom. I mean, it is baseball after all, but thankfully, they're safe from corona. I've got one question, though. Why are the fake people wearing masks? It just seems unnecessary. America has already shown that if you're a person made out of cardboard, you don't need to wear a mask. Also, I hope they told the announcer that those fans are made out of paper. Otherwise, that guy's gonna freak out. And there it is. Looks like it's a home run. Oh my God, that ball just went through that guy's chest. Oh my God, why is nobody helping him? You know what is also really creative? Is how they put that kid in a giant bubble baseball. I feel like they should just do this with every sport, especially the NFL. Put players in bubbles. Then when they get tackled, the ball bounces into the stands and then the fans will get to punch the bubble back onto the field. Tell me that doesn't sound like a fun sport. Huh? And you've solved the concussion problem. Roger Goodell, call me. In other news, one of the most inspiring things during these times has been seeing people step up to help out strangers. And some of those strangers are actually turning out to be really old friends. The Irish are returning an old favor in helping Native Americans who have been hit hard by the pandemic. More than 170 years ago, the Choctaw Nation sent $170 to help with Ireland during the potato famine. Now a fundraiser for Navajo and Hopi families has raised over $2 million with many contributions from the Irish. This is so beautiful. More than 170 years ago, the American Indians helped the Irish during the potato famine, and now the Irish are helping the American Indians during coronavirus. Most of my Irish friends can't even remember what happened last night. Oh, I spent 15 days in a British prison for something I didn't remember. And this is really nice. But if I were Native American, I'd be a little suspicious of any European trying to give me a gift. I'd be like, yeah, thanks for the money. Why don't you go ahead and lick it first? All right, any smallpox? Okay, we're good. And finally, 
Some news from Portland, Oregon, the place you'd love to visit if only your oxen would stop dying. Every year, the city celebrates World Naked Bike Ride Day, with 10,000 people taking over the streets naked on bicycles. And even though large gatherings aren't possible during the pandemic, Portland has announced that instead of canceling the event, they're encouraging everyone to simply go out and ride naked on their own, keeping appropriate distance from other riders and pedestrians. And I guess this is the one time that people might not care if someone's riding around naked. What are you doing, man? Cover your face, you creep. Put a mask on. And I get that the city of Portland is telling people to ride bikes naked alone, but is that gonna work? Cause if there's 10,000 naked bike riders, that's an event. But if there's one naked dude on a 10 speed, you just nasty. All right, that's it for Ray of Sunshine. Let's get straight into the headlines. Let's kick the headlines off with one of the growing effects of the coronavirus epidemic, meat shortages. As you probably know, many meat processing plants around America have been forced to shut down after their facilities turned into COVID-19 hotspots. And if they can't process the meat, well, then you can't eat the meat. Grocery giants are putting a cap on how much meat customers can buy as the pandemic forces more processing plants to shut down. And at hundreds of Wendy's restaurants, managers are asking that famous question from a Wendy's ad campaign. Where's the beef? Try ordering your favorite Wendy's burger this week and you may be disappointed. Some of our menu items may be temporarily limited, the company acknowledged today. At one drive through window, you could get an apology, but no triple cheeseburger. Yeah. America's beef shortage has gotten so bad that fast food places are even running out of burgers. And I feel bad for Wendy's, because not only are they running out of meat, but Wendy even had to trim her own bangs in quarantine. And we've all been there, girl. Now, obviously, this is bad for meat lovers, but it's also bad for vegans. Yeah, because if everyone is forced to become a vegan, then the original vegans will have no one to look down on. I'm actually a vegan. Yeah, yeah, buddy, we're all vegans now. But if you do love meat, don't be stressed. Because remember, as long as there's sawdust and pig's butts, you'll always have hot dogs. Hot dogs. Never think too hard about them. Moving on. Remember all those stories about healthcare workers and how they're struggling to get enough protective equipment? Well, now we might know who's partly to blame. Jared Kushner presidential advisor and man in a love triangle with his own father-in-law. A whistleblower complaint sent to Congress anonymously claims that FEMA relied on inexperienced volunteers to find protective equipment as the virus spread, arguing vendors were selected based on personal relationships, not expertise. That effort was led by Donald Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner. According to the Washington Post, Jared Kushner relied on two dozen volunteers from consulting and private equity firms who had little expertise in the tasks they were assigned. The New York Times reports many of the volunteers were told to prioritize tips from political allies and associates of President Trump tracked on a spreadsheet called VIP Update. Yes, it seems Jared Kushner fumbled the PPE response by bringing in people whose priority was pleasing Trump VIPs, including a buddy from Mar-a-Lago, a former Apprentice contestant, and Fox News host Janine Pirro. And sadly, This isn't a surprise, because since Trump became president, the White House has started operating like a nightclub. You need connections or money to get in. Everyone's talking way too loud. And there's a lady who's spending the whole time trying to avoid some creepy guy. 
And if you are gonna get help from a TV personality to search for coronavirus equipment, it shouldn't be someone from Fox. It should be Maury. Yeah, because at least he's experienced with testing. Coronavirus, you are not the father. (laughs) And finally, some strange non-corona news coming out of Venezuela. This morning, President Trump says the United States had nothing to do with an alleged coup on Venezuela. This video that you're seeing shows two American mercenaries who were arrested there on Monday. President Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela claims that the men were sent to that country to assassinate him. Both are former U.S. Special Forces soldiers with ties to a Florida-based security company named Silvercorp. Silvercorp's CEO admitted that he was leading a mission to infiltrate Venezuela and capture President Maduro. What we've learned publicly thus far about this operation is it appears to be somewhat of a clown show um, and not of the caliber one would expect if it were a operation that had been arranged by our intelligence community. Okay, I know this sounds like the sequel to Tiger King, but it's actually true. Here's what happened. As far as we know, American mercenaries, just a group of random guys who may have worked as security guards at Donald Trump rallies, put together a small team of people which they thought was going to be enough to take down the entire Venezuelan government. And one reason the operation didn't work out is that the security company, the security company tweeted about the operation while it was underway. And I don't know what's more embarrassing, the fact that they live tweeted their coup or that the coup attempt only got like six likes, ouch. And you know this whole story? This whole story just makes me wish that social media existed in the past because it probably would have stopped a lot of bad things from happening. Like Abraham Lincoln would have been like, honey, this John Wilkes Booth guy keeps tweeting me the gun emoji, skull emoji, and the top hat emoji. I think we should just stay home and watch Netflix tonight. Oh, come now, Abraham. One night at the theater is not gonna kill you. All right, that's it for the headlines. After the break, we're gonna see how President Trump handled his field trip to the mask factory. So don't go away. Trump and his entourage moved on to the Honeywell factory, where they were given a grand tour of the machinery that helps to make the masks that are being shipped around the country. And you may have noticed that even after Mike Pence's faux pas at the Mayo Clinic, Trump decided not to wear a mask while walking around the mask factory. And look, I know he's worried about how he looks, but that makes no sense. I mean, the mask would literally be the least distracting thing on Trump's head. Everything else needs like nine hours of explanation. Now, the White House's defense is that the president doesn't need to wear a mask because everyone who comes into contact with him is given a rapid coronavirus test. And if that's the case, maybe Trump should be hosting rallies right now. Yeah, because think about it. Then everyone who touches him will finally get access to a test and then boom, America's testing problem is solved. (laughs) Do we even need Fauci? I feel like I'm doing all the work. But clearly Trump was feeling invincible yesterday because not only did he raw dog the air, he also did something that he's usually too afraid to do, an interview with someone who doesn't work at Fox News. And immediately they asked him about why his administration had such a slow response. Don't forget the cupboard was bare. The other administration, the last administration left us nothing. We didn't have ventilators. We didn't have medical equipment. We didn't have testing. You know, you're three years into your first term. What did you do when you became president to restock those cupboards that you say were bare? Well, I'll be honest. uh, I have a lot of things going on. 
uh, we had a lot of uh, people that refused to allow the country to be successful. Uh, they wasted a lot of time on Russia, Russia, Russia. That turned out to be a total hoax. Then they did Ukraine, Ukraine, and that was a total hoax. Then they impeached the president of the United States for absolutely no reason. Yeah. According to Trump, he spent three years not preparing for a pandemic because he was distracted by all the scandals he created. Even if Trump did have a lot going on, you gotta admit, man, that's a shitty excuse. You're the president. That's kind of the nature of the job. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I just wanted to run the country. I didn't know I'd have to multitask. And how's Trump gonna blame Obama for not having tests for a disease that didn't even happen yet? It feels like any time Trump needs an excuse, his go-to is Obama. He's probably been doing this since he was a kid. Donald, why haven't you cleaned your room? Mom, it wasn't me, it was Obama. Who the hell is Obama? But more concerning than Trump's refusal to wear a mask or his weak excuses about not preparing for a pandemic was the news that even with corona cases and deaths predicted to skyrocket, Trump has decided to disband the task force in charge of fighting the pandemic. Tonight, as President Trump looks to move past the coronavirus pandemic, uh, he's acknowledging that the White House task force is winding down. The vice president, Mike Pence, says the group may disband around Memorial Day at the end of this month. Can you just explain why is now the time to wind down that task force? Well, because we can't keep our country closed for the next five years. I'm not saying anything is perfect. And yes, will some people be affected? Yes. Will some people be affected badly? Yes. But we have to get our country open and we have to get it open soon. That's right. For Trump, the priority right now isn't to try stop the pandemic. It's to open up the country no matter what. I mean, how can you get rid of the task force fighting the pandemic while the pandemic is still growing? That makes no sense. Can you imagine if they stopped after Fast and Furious 6? How would we know how much more furious they get? Now, there was so much backlash to disbanding this task force that this morning, Trump announced that he would not be disbanding the task force. He said he would allow the task force to continue just with different people doing different things, which makes as much sense as telling your husband, you're not divorcing him, you're just continuing your marriage with a different person who you don't hate. But what's clear is that between his refusal to wear a mask, his weak excuses for not preparing for the pandemic, and his attempt to kill the task force, Trump's field trip yesterday didn't get great reviews. And by the way, those were just the parts of the trip that people actually saw. Cause I don't know, do you remember that footage of Trump getting a tour of the factory? Well, we got the audio of what was happening. We wiretap all his ties. And it turns out yesterday could have gone even worse. Mr. President, do you want to start the machine that makes face masks? All you have to do is push the green button. Just the green button right there. Yeah, the green one, that's it. It's the only one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, that wasn't green. That was the red button, but that's okay. A lot of people mix up green and red. No problem. But that was the meltdown button, but that's okay. You did the best you could. Why don't you stand over there, Mr. President? Everything's gonna be okay. We're all gonna be okay. Uh, shit, shit, shit. Hey, Bill, can you disarm a countdown? We got like nine seconds, Bill. Eight, seven... That's our president. All right, I gotta go pee. But when we come back, Robert Jr. is on the show and he finds the creator of the website we've all been looking at. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. You know, for all the global attention Corona has captured, it's been surprisingly hard to find trustworthy sources of information about it. 
but one website created here in America has really stood out for its reliability in tracking the virus. And Roy Wood Jr. went to find out why. If you've been following the news during this global pandemic, then you'd know that the reported statistics have been as inconsistent as the Wi-Fi at your mama's house. The same Wi-Fi you told her ass to speed up a long time ago, but you get quarantining with your mama during a pandemic. If we didn't do it, you would have had a million people, a million and a half people, maybe two million people dead. But we're going towards 50 or 60,000 people. 100 to 200,000 deaths. And it looks more like the 60,000 than the 100 to 200,000. We have between 100 and 200,000. It's like an auction. But there's one credible source whose numbers are trusted globally. One website tracking the coronavirus has become one of the most vital resources for people seeking accurate and updated numbers on the pandemic. NCOV2019.live. And I scored a sit down with its creator. Wait, who the f are you? I'm looking for Avi Schiffman. Uh, I'm afraid that's me. How old are you? 17. Are you 17 for real? This is some of that Benjamin Button shit. No, I'm 17. Huh. Well, if you're the real creator of this website, Avi, if that's your real name. It is. Then explain how you built it. Sure. The coronavirus website in particular, it works using server-side JavaScript, which means, you know, it's kind of like what PHP was, but coded in HTML and CSS that they have um, there and added to a much larger data set. And, uh, you know, that's just, there's these things called a cron job. So I have that's just basically how it works. Okay, okay. You know computer shit. Let's move on. Most teenagers spend time making highbrow videos. But this dude chose to make a website tracking a murderous disease. Why? I wanted to make it like just easy to find the information and thought it would just be helpful to some people. And, you know, I started this, you know, very late December. But you knew in December? Yeah, around the, around the 29th. Avi spotted a crisis before our own government. Despite his superpowers, why would a teenager invest so much time on a website that doesn't have nudity? What are you trying to get out of this, Avi? An MSNBC show? Because they can swap you with Chris Hayes and no one would notice. If they want to give me one, sure. <laughs> or are you trying to get into a good college? Because you didn't have to do all this to get in a good college. All you had to do was lie and say that you was rowing. I mean, I already have job offers to do full stack web development. I don't necessarily need to, to go to college for that. And the job offers keep coming because Avi's site currently has over 600 million visitors from every country on the planet. Even Antarctica. Wait, that's a country, right? With that kind of traffic, I know you set. If you need somebody to help you sell ads, hire me, man. I'm a good salesman. Well, you know, I turned down $8 million to put advertisements on the website, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> but there's a, there's a... Wait, wait, wait. What did you say? Wait, I thought you just said you turned down $8 million. You'd have to be a dumbass to do that. Yeah, I, I declined it because I didn't want pop-up ads. I didn't want to be forced to my, like, keep my website uh, running. $8 million. You said $8 million. You just said, no. Hey, hey, man, excuse me a second. All right. What am I doing wrong with my life? He got eight million on the table. I got nothing. Mother seventeen. He's making all the money. Meanwhile, I'm at home in a desk. I'm back, man. Sorry about that. I just think you crazy for turning down free money. No disrespect. Two things I gotta remember. Avi created a site that offers clarity on the effects Corona is having on the planet. And secondly, I'm a grown ass man talking to an underage teen online. I gotta wrap this up. 
So which countries are handling it better than the U.S.? South Korea is definitely handling this way better than the entire world. I mean, they tested so much of their population so fast. I mean, they didn't have to shut down their country. Meanwhile, you know, I haven't had school in months. So so what do you think we're going to be looking like in September with this quarantine? Because i got to get out of this house, man. Yeah, well, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see if, but, you know, until there's a vaccine and things, things will, you know, probably still be pretty weird for a while. So till then, I'll just have to focus on the future. All right. So you've been great with COVID-19 predictions. How are you with sports? I got money on the Lakers to win it all. Uh, I'm sorry. I have to go now. I have a meeting with the United Nations. Supposed to be a youth ambassador. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Just tell me real quick. Lakers, yes or no? Have a good day. Abby. So no on the Lakers. Thank you so much for that, Roy. When we come back, I'll be talking to Chef Jose Andres about his work to help feed people during the pandemic. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I got the chance to speak to Chef Jose Andres, whose nonprofit World Central Kitchen has served nearly 6 million meals across the United States and Spain since launching its COVID-19 response two months ago. Well, we talked about that and more, so check it out. Chef Jose Andres, welcome back to the daily social distancing show this time. How are you, my friend? I am six feet away from you. <laughs> We're more than, more than six feet away. It feels like every time, every time I, I meet you, it's because there's a disaster somewhere in the world and like a superhero um, of food, you've stepped in to help feed people. The coronavirus has done more than just shut down people's businesses. It means millions of people don't have access to food. And as soon as I heard about this crisis, I heard about your name and about your organization that has jumped in to start feeding people. We know that you did this in Puerto Rico. We know that you did this after the hurricanes, but this is a unique experience. What, What are you dealing with right now? Well, we began many months ago, uh, Yokohama, Japan, Princess cruise ship. Uh, many people had Corona and Princess uh, leadership called us and we went there to help the Japanese government feed the 6,000 men and women in that cruise ship. So from there, we went to Auckland to help the governor Newsom to also feed the cruise ship. And very early on, because we were following from Wuhan, we saw that if the same will happen in other countries around the world, as was happening in China, what we saw was happening in Italy, the country was born, Spain, uh, America was going to be hit as hard, if no more. So we began preparing ourselves to think if everything shuts down means people are going to be without work. All of a sudden, we have 40 million food insecure Americans. The number is going to increase. Well, all of these things are happening. We are right now doing close to quarter million meals a day. We are already beyond 5 million. We are in many cities, in 30 states, trying to cover the blind spots of the system. Elderly homes, first responders, police, firefighters, obviously hospitals that all of a sudden they are 24-7 overworked. We need to provide meals at night for those nurses and doctors that don't even have time to go back home. That's what we're doing, making sure that wherever there is a big need, especially in the hot zones, we show up with a response, even before people can see the problem coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are a big army. So many restaurants that are shut down, every chef, every restaurant wants to be part of the solution. We're trying to make sure we create the right response 
using those men and women where their heart is feeding the few, but in this time is also feeding the many. Yeah, you've done something really interesting, and that is you found a way to scale your organization during a time when most people are struggling to even keep their organizations alive. Because one of the challenges of coronavirus is who do you get to help you? Where do you get to help you? And how do you find the support? But what you've done is really interesting. Some restaurants have now turned from the usual business to actually helping your central kitchen to feed people that need to be fed in their cities. How did you get them on board and and how does this actually work? Well, what we saw is that in a hurricane, when we went to Bahamas, the entire northern islands of Bahamas were totally destroyed. But this is a crisis like it's very different. We have almost every single restaurant uh, shut down. So we have more than 600 restaurants right now in our system uh, that they partner with us. The donations we get, we, we channel them uh, through the restaurants. And in the process, we identify at the local level what the needs are. And it's something beautiful when the locals feed themselves, when the local community that know best what's needed takes care of the problem right there. We don't plan. We go and we do it because hunger cannot wait. The urgency of now is yesterday. And that's what we do. Um, With a lot of these restaurants right now, you know, there's there's a supply chain that has been affected and and we're seeing it in different ways. I mean, America's beef or or pork is going to be, you know, in short supply. Um, We're reading about how farms are producing food and they don't know how to get that food to people. Is there anything that your organization has figured out in terms of getting this food that's gonna be thrown away while there are hungry people? Because it seems like a paradox. You've got so many people who are going more hungry and yet there's so much more food that is being thrown away. Uh, Yes, it's a national security issue and we cannot take it for granted, especially small farmers. Uh, They used to sell to restaurants. Restaurants are gone. So all of a sudden we have long lines in food banks across America and many parts around the world and farmers that they are throwing their produce and their fruits uh, to the fields. How is this possible? Everything is distribution. So I'm not gonna tell you that we came with a plan to do it everywhere in America, but what you do is proof concept. We've already been doing things with local farms in California, in Maryland, in Virginia, in Florida, showing how it's actually big problems. They have very simple solutions. Find the people that have the best contacts with those farmers. Make sure that the farmers are able to communicate the excess food they are producing that they cannot sell to anybody. And you try to go to one farm and bring it directly to the people. We were doing it in Queens, in Corona. We were doing it in Brooklyn. We've been doing it in parts of LA. We've been doing it in many cities to prove concept. Why? Because who should be coming with the solution is Congress. And Congress is good men and women on both parties that they're trying to come with the right solutions. But if they pass a bill and they don't have anybody executing on the ground, that's a matter. The good intentions only are good intentions. So what we're trying to do is proving concept. Guys, take a look at what we're doing now. Let's pass the right bill. Let's put the right investment into the solution. And let's make sure that the different agencies, USDA, FEMA, or little NGOs like us, we can help the American people by transforming the problem into a solution. It's going to be a really interesting time moving forward. 
Do you think we can see the restaurant business change? Like I know in LA, for instance, a lot of restaurants are now selling their produce to their customers. So they're saying, hey, we normally cook you a steak, but now we'll sell you our steak. We'll give you access to our suppliers. Do you think from what you're seeing from restaurant owners that this could become a, a, a new world of restaurants? Obviously, the restaurant industry somehow is going to change. But I do believe that we are going to be fighting this virus. And things hopefully will go back to normal uh, sooner, hopefully rather later. What is going to happen is that restaurants, is more than 800, 800,000 restaurants in America, especially the small restaurant owners. Is this uh, coalition, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, that right now, uh, we are all fighting in Congress to make sure that TPP is the right bill to help a small restaurants in America. And what happens? That restaurants, we are the DNA of our communities. Many restaurants across America are open for takeout, but it's no business. Really, they are doing a service to the community. My restaurants are feeding homeless. Many other restaurants across America are helping the communities. Now we become bodegas or grocery stores. All of a sudden, you don't have to be in a long line in a supermarket. You can go to your local restaurant and buy some asparagus or meat and some flour or even toilet toilet paper. This is smart solutions because I don't want to see long lines in the food banks. We need to diversify the possibilities of people getting food in every corner across America, in every corner around the world. And so restaurants, we are part of the solution. We feed the few. But restaurants, we are here right now to feed the many. I hope that as we move away from this, I hope that many restaurants will be able to reopen sooner rather than later. But right now, it's hard. But I love that my community, the community of chefs, the community of food people in America, we are becoming part of the solution. You know, one thing I've always admired about you, Chef, is that no matter what disaster it is, no matter what what you're experiencing with the people you're helping, you always seem to have an amazing energy about you. You're always pushing forward. You always seem motivated. You're <laughs> Virginia, wine of Virginia, supporting my local winemakers. Early Mountain Rosé. I love this wine. What are you? What are you getting up to? Like, what are you cooking right now? I know you always discover something new. Like every time I talk to you, you've learned a new thing to cook or a new way to cook because of the crisis that you're experiencing. Is there any new technique that you're using now? Well, listen, um, this morning I made an omelette with a blowtorch. Imagine <laughs> how bored I'm getting. Uh, I'm cooking with my family every day, and I'm lucky because I know many other people don't have maybe the size of a house I enjoy. And a lot of people are in their homes in very small uh, uh, one-bedroom apartment. And when I cook with my family, it's used to send a message to everybody, you know, things are tough today, but let's laugh and let's hopefully... Uh, dream that tomorrow will be better. So the way I have is you sharing a moment of family time, laughing, and showing that even a cook like me, that sometimes everybody thinks we're perfect. We can be also messy. Things can go wrong. And for me, today, I cook with my daughters these blowtorch scrambled eggs. And let me tell you, I know everybody's going to tell me I'm crazy, but if I don't cook right now with a blowtorch scrambled eggs, when? Now is the moment to take ourselves slightly less seriously because, you know, we should be thankful that actually we are going all together as we the people through this and together we will move away from this uh, pandemic. So uh, one is from a leg with blowtorch at a time, I hope, and a little bit of laugh is what is going to get us all through this uh, crazy time. 
I hope I hope that you're right, Chef. I really do. And thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, if anybody wants to help you, what can they do? How can people get you the help that you need to help other people out there who don't have meals? Well, uh, go to uh, www.wck, that's for Wall Central Kitchen, org, and there you're going to see what we do. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Why? Because we're the type of organization that uh, we love to show what we're doing, not to show off, but only because we are doing things in the real time. And you know one thing I want to share with you and your people? I was so happy today because I came to America 27 years ago and I met a senator, Patrick Moynihan, who became a friend and gave me a lot of wisdom. Uh, we got one idea that can become a bill, bipartisan, breaking bread, Republicans and Democrats. It's called the FEED Act. And it's a simple idea. Make sure that the federal government empowers FEMA to support governors and mayors to bring restaurants and little NGOs like us to come to be the solution to feed the communities in need. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm celebrating. That we actually, in this DNA, this, this moment that seems nobody is working together, that actually, through food, actually Democrats and Republicans can break bread and bring true solutions to America and in many ways to the rest of the world. Chef Andres, as always, an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Great. Look after yourself, my friend. Bye, my man. Thank you once again for being on the show, Chef Andres. Well, uh, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please remember that the COVID pandemic has devastated communities around the world. And the International Medical Corps is helping those communities to rebuild and recover. So if you're able to, and you'd like to help them in their global outreach, please donate whatever you can. And if you'd like to support the response here at home in New York City, then please donate to the NYC Healthcare Heroes. They're providing care packages to healthcare workers, hospitals, and temporary medical facilities. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wash your hands, and remember, if you're running out of toilet paper, a good solution is to just hold it in. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 